Good evening. This is season four, episode fifteen of Demented and Unusual. Today we are doing Kenneth Bianchi, aka the Hillside Strangler, who has a confirmed victim count of twelve. Kenneth Alessio Bianchi was born on May twenty second, nineteen fifty one, in Rochester, New York. His mother was a 17-year-old alcoholic prostitute who gave him up for adoption two weeks after he was born. He was adopted by Nicholas and Francis Bianchi in August of 1951, and he was their only child. Francis, his adopted mother, described him as a compulsive liar from the time he could talk. Kenneth was described as deeply troubled from a young age. He would fall into inattentive trance-like daydreams where his eyes would roll back. Unbeknownst to them, he was having petite mal seizures, which he was formally diagnosed with at the age of five. He also had a problem with involuntarily urinating, which caused a great deal of humiliation. Francis took him to a psychiatrist multiple times, uh, where they said Kenneth had many behavioral problems and was prone to Bits of rage. At age 10, he was diagnosed with passive-aggressive personality disorder. The psychiatrist also felt that Kenneth was overly dependent on his mother, and by age 11, he had had his IQ tested. The results were above average, with an IQ of 116, and despite this, he was an underachiever. He had to change schools twice because he couldn't get along with his teachers. Francis said that he was lazy and the teacher said that he was working below his capacity. Kenneth ended up going to a private school where he excelled in creative writing. Nicholas Bianchi died suddenly from pneumonia in 1964. 13-year-old Kenneth refused to cry or show any other signs of grief. Francis had to go back to work to support the family, so Kenneth went back to public school. He graduated from Gates Chili High School in 1970. In 1971, he married his high school sweetheart, Brenda Beck. The marriage lasted all of eight months. Some say she left without explanation. Others say it was because, you know, his constant cheating. May have had something to do with it. Hey, you think? I try not to, it hurts. (laughs) Kenneth loved having control over people, so he decided that he wanted to become a police officer. He enrolled at Monroe Community College to study police science and psychology. He dropped out after one semester. He applied for a position at the Monroe County Sheriff's Department, but was rejected. After drifting through a series of jobs, he landed a job as a security guard for a jewelry store. He would often steal jewelry and give it to his girlfriends or prostitutes to buy their loyalty. Because of this, he was constantly on the move. Speaking of moving... (coughs) Kenneth went to Los Angeles and uh, Los Angeles, California, in early 1976. He started spending a lot of time with his older cousin Angelo Buono. Angelo was impressed by Kenneth's fancy clothes, his jewelry, and his way with women. <laughs> it said he could get any woman he wanted and quote put them in their place, which is the kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> Kenneth applied to both the Los Angeles and Glendale Police Departments. Los Angeles PD had no openings, and Glendale simply turned him down. He eventually got a job at the California Land and Title Company. 
He used his first paycheck to get a 1972 Cadillac and an apartment located at 809 East Garfield Avenue in Glendale. This will become relevant later. Here he met Kelly Boyd in May 1977. She announced she was pregnant with his child, but she rejected his marriage proposal and just simply stayed with him. She claims Kenneth was jealous, immature, and lied too much. He lost his job because some pot was found in his desk, but he found a similar job in downtown L.A. And this is where he and Kelly moved. Um, as a side job. No. They, they moved to an apartment in Hollywood, 1950 Tamarind Avenue. Yeah, sorry, y'all. It's okay. That becomes relevant later, too. As a side job, he portrayed himself as a psychologist. He had a phony freaking degree and a set of credentials that he fraudulently obtained and even had the audacity to run an office from a legitimate psychologist. The nerve. The nerve. The balls. <laughs> Kenneth and Angelo started working together as pimps to two teenage runaways, Sabra Hannah and Becky Spears. Both girls were able to eventually escape Angelo and Kenneth's clutches. In order to get more teenage girls to pimp out, the cousins would often impersonate police officers. They had fake badges, which they used to extort free sex from prostitutes. Because who wouldn't? <laughs> they met prostitute Deborah Noble and bought what they called a trick list, which had names of men who frequented prostitutes in the area. Deborah and her friend Yolanda Washington delivered the list to Kenneth in October of 1977. The cousins would often cruise around Los Angeles in Angelo's car, which they claimed was an unmarked police car. They would use their fake badges to persuade women that they were undercover officers. They would order the victims into the car, drive them to Angelo's house, and they would then rape, torture, and murder them. That was awkward. All victims were strangled, and the majority were raped, as we had just stated. And most of them had visible ligature marks, typically on their wrists, neck, and ankles. The cousins, who also, the cousins also experimented with other methods of killing, such as lethal injection, electric shock, and carbon monoxide poisoning. October seventeenth, nineteen seventy seven, nineteen year old Yolanda Washington was raped and strangled. She was also a known prostitute. Her friend Deborah Noble had given Kenneth and Angelo a phony trick list. The cousins couldn't find Deborah, so they took their rage out on Washington. Yolanda's naked body was found on a hillside near Ventura Freeway. Her body was cleaned before being dumped, so there were no clues left behind. October 31st, 15-year-old Judith Lynn Miller was repeatedly raped, sodomized, and strangled. She was a runaway and an occasional sex worker. Judith's naked body was found on a hillside in a middle-class residential neighborhood of La Crescenta. November 6th, 21-year-old Lissa Teresa Caston was brutally raped and strangled. She wasn't a sex worker, but did mention to her mom that she thought about prostituting for some extra income. Lissa's naked body was found on the side of the road near a country club. She was described as a stocky lady and police said it would have taken two men to lift her over the sizable guardrail. 
Who talks to their mother about becoming a sex worker? I know. She was, like, apparently working at some diner or something, um, but needed more money for whatever reason. She she was like, hey, mom, I'm probably going to prostitute myself. November 9th, 28-year-old Evelyn Jane King, an aspiring actress, went missing. Her badly decomposed body was found near the Golden State Freeway on November 23rd. The severity of decomp made it impossible to determine whether she had been raped or tortured, but it was clear that she had been strangled. November 13th, 12-year-old Dolores Dolly Cepeda and Sanja Johnson were raped and strangled. Their bodies were found on November 20th, decomposing in a trash, trash heap. A nine-year-old boy was treasure hunting and found the bodies. Ooh, that had to smell horrible. I mean, why would you be in a trash heap, though? I don't know. That's some weird treasure hunting. 20-year-old Christina Weckler was strangled and abused on November 20th. She had bruises on her breasts and blood oozing from her rectum. She was a quiet honor student at Pasadena Art Center of Design which was much different than the typical sex workers that they usually killed. She lived at 809 East Garfield Avenue, the same complex where Kenneth used to live. There were two puncture marks on her arm, but no needle tracks to indicate drug use. It was later revealed they injected her with Windex. And I couldn't find the, like, exacts on this, but apparently, um... They also tried to use carbon monoxide poisoning on her by putting her head in an oven. That's crazy. Just like turning the gas on. That's crazy. Yeah. November 28th, 18-year-old Laura Lauren Ray Wagner was strangled and tortured. Her naked body was found in the hills around Mount Washington. There were burn marks on her hands. December 13th, 17-year-old Kimberly Diane Martin, a sex worker, was raped, tortured, and killed. Kimberly was fearful of the strangler killings, so she joined a call girl agency. Kenneth called the agency from a public payphone in Hollywood Public Library, and they instructed the agency to send a girl to 1950 Tamron, apartment 114, which was the complex that Kenneth lived in. When the police investigated the apartment, it was vacant and had been broken into. Her naked body was found near Los Angeles City Hall. February 16, 1978, 20-year-old Cindy Lee Hudspeth was strangled, raped, and tortured. Her body was shoved into the trunk of her car, and the car was then pushed off a cliff. The next day, a helicopter pilot spotted her orange Datsun halfway down a cliff on the Angeles Crest Highway. Police responded and found her body still in the truck. So even while committing these murders, Kenneth still continued to apply for police jobs, um, which actually kind of helped him, I guess, a little, because he made several friends at the LAPD. Also around this time, Kenneth started coughing and having trouble breathing, so Kelly urged him to go see a doctor. He claims that he did and came back and told her it was lung cancer and that he needed radiation and chemotherapy, which was all a lie. Trash ass human. Yep. He's re- he should be in the trash heap. No shit, right? One day, when Kenneth was homesick, detectives came to question him about one of the murders that may have taken place in his apartment complex. 
The detectives were impressed with Kenneth and didn't consider him to be a suspect. They even asked Kenneth to participate in ride-alongs with LAPD, which is just like a little program where they let civilians ride, a, ride in patrol cars while they're on duty, obviously. During these, all he could talk about was the Hillside Strangler. <laughs> Kelly and Kenneth's relationship was tense. Kelly had hoped that their baby would cause him to have a sense of purpose and encourage him to change his ways, but it didn't, so she decided to move back to her home in Bellingham, Washington, where she had the support of her family and friends. In May 1978, she agreed to give him another chance, and he also moved to Bellingham. While in Bellingham, Kenneth found work as a security guard. On January 11, 1979, he lured two female college students into a house that he was supposed to be guarding. 22-year-old Karen Mandick and 27-year-old Diane Wilder were both strangled. Kenneth left behind many clues and was apprehended the next day. These two murders were committed by Kenneth only, and Angelo had no connection. A California driver's license and routine background check linked him to the address of two of the Hillside Strangler victims. At trial, Kenneth pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity. He claimed another personality named Steve Walker had committed the crimes. He was actually able to convince a few of the expert psychiatrists that he suffered from multiple personality disorder. Investigators brought in their own psychiatrist, Martin Orn. Orn mentioned to Kenneth that in genuine cases of the disorder, there were usually three or more personalities. Kenneth created another alias, Billy, proving that he was lying. He was then diagnosed with antisocial personality disorder with sexual sadism, mm. which is not a bad thing. <laughs> he eventually pleaded guilty to avoid the death penalty and an attempt to get a reduced sentence agreed to. <laughs> Excuse me, I'm sorry. In an attempt to get a reduced sentence, Kenneth agreed to testify against Angelo. <laughs> While giving his testimony... He made every effort to be as uncooperative and self-contradictory as possible. I don't know why they're dying. <laughs> Kenneth and Angelo were both found guilty and given life sentences. During the sentencing, the judge said, I would not have the slightest reluctance to impose the death penalty in this case were it within my power to do so. Ironically, although these two defendants utilized almost every form of legalized execution against their victims, the defendants have escaped any form of capital punishment. Which is bullshit. Oh no, let me read that one. Okay. Okay. Kenneth is serving out his life sentence at the Washington State Penitentiary in Walla Walla, Washington. <laughs> That's all I wanted to say. You can he was denied parole on August 18, 2010, and will be eligible to apply for parole again in 2025. Hmm. In 1980, Kenneth met and started dating Veronica Compton. She was an actress and playwright who was obsessed with serial killers. There's nothing she, wrong with that. She sent him a copy of a screenplay she wrote titled The Mutilated Cutter about a female serial killer, and she wanted to hear his thoughts about it. <laughs> Kenneth and Veronica came up with a plan to prove his innocence. Veronica used a glove to smuggle some of Kenneth's semen out of prison. 
as she then lured, lured a woman, lured. Lured. A woman to a motel room and attempted attempted to strangle her. The idea was to make police believe that the hillside strangler was still on the loose. That's kind of an out there plan, but oh well. Um, Veronica was convicted and imprisoned for the attempt on the woman's life, and she was released in 2003. Veronica also confessed that she wanted to buy a mortuary with another convicted murderer solely for the purpose of necrophilia. Vagina maggots. Vagina maggots. Ugh. In the oh. early... Never mind. Ew. No. No, no, no. Not that. I just think, like, how the maggots move. I'm like, oh, no. no. Just in say the, no to maggots. In the early 1970s in Rochester, New York, three young girls were raped and strangled. They were dubbed the Alphabet Murders, or the Double Initial Murders. Um... 11-year-old Carmen Cullen, Wanda Wallowicz, and Michelle Mayenza were the victims. Hundreds of people were questioned, but the killer was never caught. Kenneth Bianchi was considered a suspect, but was always has always denied these murders. Kenneth was an ice cream vendor in Rochester at the time. The first two murder scenes were close to his vending site. The third victim, Michelle, told her father that she was going out to get some ice cream and was never heard from again. A vehicle matching the color and model of his car was seen near one of the abduction sites and near two of the crime scenes. He has repeatedly attempted to have investigators clear him of suspicion, but since it is still in an open, an open investigation, he's actually still considered a person of interest. Yay, we did it! Yay! So, um, stay creepy and doodles. <laughs>